Chase, white circle, shoots and scores! A short-handed goal for Jonathan Tate! Kubelik in front, he shoots and scores! Dominic Kubelik on a belief line, right circle, shoots and scores! He set it up for Carpenter to slice and he scores! Patrick Kane has a thousand NHL points! It's time for another episode of Blackhawks Crazy. Presented by FanList. Is this the game that gets Alex to bring it back on track? Here's Kane, top left circle, shooting scores in front of the net. I believe to bring it, tapped it, and the Hawks have finally solved Pecorino in this hockey game. Chris Bowden and Joe Brand break down the latest storylines surrounding your favorite Chicago hockey team. The power play goal, he's standing in front of the net, put the breakaway in overtime. That's one where you're going, wow. Picked off by Keith. Did it break it? A breakaway in overtime for the win on the Predator line. Shoots and scores! The cap! It's an overtime game winning goal! That's hockey, baby! Here's Chris Bowden and Joe Brand. Well, hello there. Time for a new Blackhawks Crazy podcast presented by FanList. I'm not sure when the next Blackhawks Crazy podcast presented by FanList is going to happen, but here we are. Chris Bowden, your Blackhawks pre- and post-game host on WGN Radio, Joe Brand. Weekend sports uh, host and uh, Blackhawks reporter, as we are not in the WGN studios. We are in Joe's studio <laughs> at, his, at his place here. And uh, we didn't want to let the last podcast sitting there uh, talking about the Blues game for who knows how long. There have been developments since then, so uh, we will try and work our way through all those developments on this edition of the podcast that uh, we think in all likelihood it will hold up until we have more answers in this uh, world in which there are uh, so many questions right now. And before we proceed and uh, tell you a little bit about Joe's studio here as we sit six feet away or something close to that. A Blackhawks Crazy Podcast is sponsored by FanList. FanList is the best platform for season ticket holders to sell their tickets. Are you a Blackhawks season ticket holder who sells multiple games? Get over to FanList.com slash Blackhawks Crazy, spelled F-A-N-L-Y-S-T.com. FanList partners with multiple ticket marketplaces and list tickets for sale across all marketplaces all at once. Sites like StubHub. Vivid Seats, SeatGeek, GameTime, and many, many more. And they do all the work. Multiple marketplaces will increase your ticket exposure, causing tickets to sell faster and for higher prices. Plus, FanList is free to use. Registration and listing tickets are free. When tickets sell, FanList charges the industry standard 15% of the final ticket sale price. It's the same price that all those other major marketplaces charge. There are no hidden costs or added fees to use FanList. It's the best way for you as a season ticket holder to sell your tickets. Go to FanList.com slash BlackhawksCrazy to receive a $20 bonus on your first sale. F-A-N-L-Y-S-T dot com slash BlackhawksCrazy. Again, thanks to FanList for being our presenting sponsor. And they are in a holding pattern. Now, their business is in a holding pattern, kind of like the rest of us sports industry the concert industry and we hope everyone out there is well and doing their due diligence to uh follow procedures as uh difficult and as aggravating and as i don't know um 
kind of uh, shuttered, <laughs> as it may be. So uh, we were wondering when we left the United Center on Wednesday night after the victory over San Jose, which uh, we will get to. I should say Wednesday, March 11th. But uh, less than 24 hours later, uh, the NBA came down with their decision during the game. The NHL followed suit. And uh, as we sit here, not in the studio, Joe has cracked open a PBR. It's not my thing right now. But uh, anyway, uh, life does go on in a very different way, and it affects all of us. And uh, first of all, let's, let's, let me ask Joe you about uh, this weird world, about turning on a TV, you're off, you want to turn on a sporting event, and there are no sporting events to be found. We're just like everybody else, and it's all about adapting. And as our buddy Kendall Coyne said in, in a tweet as we record here on – uh, Monday afternoon. Um, it's all about being teammates now. You can't be a ball hog. You can't be cherry picking. It's all about being teammates and sucking it up and doing things for the greater good. And part of that is what should be the minor aggravation. I have some buddies who are absolutely furious that they cannot watch sports and March Madness and playoff time. But Unfortunately, in these times when even the experts don't have answers for something that could turn out to be very dangerous, uh, we all got to follow procedure, whether we like it or not. I think the word helplessness is the one that keeps coming to mind for me. It's just there's really nothing you can do is just sit and wait and wait for more information to come out. Um, Nowadays, you know, you get so much info on Twitter and the Internet and your phone will just ring and it'll tell you something. I found out about the NBA suspending their season from you when I was driving home from my high school basketball game on Wednesday, so I was missing doing the Blackhawks game, and it just kind of brings you back to when you used to get news only from the radio or from the television or something like that, and in that moment when you said the NBA season is suspended indefinitely because Rudy Gobert tested positive, right then and there you just think, what's going to happen next because basically everything is up for grabs and that's totally what happened i mean just putting a a total block on the entire sports world it's it's shocked and rocked everybody's world um but it just it just goes to show you how many people are affected it's not just the players it's not just the fans it's the game day employees it's security staff i mean how many times do we go through the tunnels of the united center and see all the united center employees eating lunch i mean they those are people the probably the majority of them rely on those games to rely on those paychecks for their work and a huge hat tip to Rocky Wirtz and Jerry Reinsdorf for helping them out for the time being and, and every other big athlete that's done it, too. Um, but it is just a crazy time in our world. I, I do really like what Kendall Coyne said. Um, it's just a whole lot of sitting around and waiting and seeing what's going to happen next, though. And this could last a very long time. Uh, we don't have any answers, but uh, based on, as we record here on Monday, March 16th, based on what the CDC is saying, he doesn't want any, they don't want any gatherings uh, of more than 50 people for two months now. Um, that edict came down on March 15th, so we are looking at May 15th. And we'll go through some of the scenarios here in, in a moment, the possibilities, the scenarios, best case, worst case. But uh, we're all affected by this differently. For, for those of us who are very fortunate to be drawing a paycheck automatically, uh, no matter the circumstance and, and, and be a salaried employee, it, it's one thing, but that is the rarity. And with the 
economic trickle-down happening, with the stock market trickle-down happening, um, for people, you know, buying and selling homes, for people um, who have bills to pay, who work check-to-check. Uh, it's an awfully scary thing. And, yeah, it's, it's great uh, for Rocky, uh, for, uh, Rocky and, and Jerry to do what they did. Um, and I would imagine a lot of those people may also work at the at the Cubs and Sox um, facilities, and there's a great unknown over that. And um, but again, I'm one of the fortunate ones, and it's easy to say, okay, be a teammate, be this, be that, and to stay calm and not stress too much. But this is all tied into stress, and and having to become a team player sometimes is difficult when there are bills to pay week to week. And and Joe, I know in your circumstance, um, yourself and, and and your wife Allison, I mean, you just got word today that that she's being affected by that in her role, and it's it's kind of a reflection of what all of society is going through. And you know, while you're trying to white knuckle it and not worry about it and set aside and and not worry about what you cannot control. Uh, it, it, it's the unknown and the question mark about, okay, what is the end game? When will this end? Where there are no answers for this, and the answers that we're getting at this point right now you know, seem rather ominous that it, it, it's going to take a while before this thing is either passes or gets figured out. And knowing me, based on my work schedules in the past couple of years, I get very restless when I don't have anything to do just because I'm, I'm in the sense of, of working a game and then jumping over to another game. And I'm not trying to tout myself. I'm just, that's the way my mind works. So right now, I'm actually in an okay state of mind, but I, I know that's going to change in a month. Um, I, I, I'm not ready to have my own pity party. I know all I do is cover games, so yes, there is going to be a financial break at the moment of not having work to do, but I, I still do updates on Saturday mornings, again, for the time being on the station. Uh, I was going to start substitute teaching. Now schools are closed down, so that takes away some of uh, the recent funds I was going to get, and uh, my wife working in a school, she's no longer going to be going to work for the next month or so, but she'll still get paid. So again, I'm not going to have my own pity party. I know a lot of people are going through a lot worse things right now. And the other thing is, it's affecting everybody. I mean, everybody is affected by this in some way. Some in great circumstances, some in mild, hardly anyone in very small circumstances, because pretty much everyone's job is being affected. But again, it's it's happening to everyone. So I think we just got to keep that in mind, that... Um, Everyone's going to go through tough times, and everyone's going to not know what to do. Um, I, I hate when people say, don't panic, because it's just saying, like, be happy. You, you can't just choose it right away. It's some, something needs to happen in order for that to happen. And uh, this is it's going to be a test to a lot of people. So I, I think the main thing is to just realize that everyone is also going through this and, and reach out to people when you can. Call, text, obviously, because the whole face-to-face interaction might be limited in the coming days. But... Um, you know, we we got to stick together with this. Yeah, take care of others around you. Uh, try not to internalize and and you know um, let it be all about you, as as Kendall and a lot of people are, are saying here. Be being a teammate, as difficult as that is to be when you're you're worried about your own day to day and and how you're going to get by. But you know, um, 
I, I, I could tell the governor was was ticked off the other day when you know he tried to set up a certain bar, the mayor the same way, and all of a sudden, speaking of bar, there's a bunch of people lining up outside bars to do their St. Patrick's Day thing. They have to live life. Yes, um, there is a great unknown as to exactly how severe this is, but you know the, the cause for being uneasy about this is the, the people who should know how to solve this haven't solved it yet. Um, and there is only a small, slow process that we know of right now to potentially uh, get this out of our way. And yeah, we'll, we'll get to the hockey in just a moment. But I think a, a final thing that I want to bring up is, you know, every 10 or 15 years, hopefully longer, sometimes less than that, there are these moments that we are faced with um, as a country, as a society in the world, be it 9-11, be it the stock market crashing, um, back in, you know, our parents' days and beyond, different wars breaking out, how you're going to deal with that. You go back 100 years and the uh, other season that truly affected uh, hockey from a non-labor standpoint was um, uh, the flu that, that went through the country, you know, a, a century ago. And this is one of those moments where we are being tested and our society is an I want to know now society. You can just tell that through social media or you want to express what you want to through social media. I'm going to do what I want to do. But right now, unfortunately, we don't know right now. And all we can do is, you know, follow the best guidance that we can as painful, as uncomfortable and as inconvenient as it may be not to turn on the TV and have sports on. Um, perhaps, yeah, not going out to restaurants as we speak here, following this Monday night for the foreseeable future, a couple of weeks at least. Uh, this could drag on and on. And this is about testing our, our own toughness mentally how we can get through this and being able to be a team player through all this. And um, uh, I'm, I'm hoping for the best that you know, we can all rise above it and figure this thing out together uh, no matter how long the process takes. Well, I think you bring up a really good point of nowadays, if you want information, you can get it instantaneously. And people want to know things right now, and, and they're not there um, that that's what was so bizarre about everything unfolding. I mean, we were at Fifth Third Arena just last week, and everyone was making jokes about the whole six feet uh, radius from the from the players, and you know, make sure they enter the room. The microphones are already up there. Don't take the microphones until they leave the room. I mean, it what we were all saying the same things. We were all thinking the same things. We were making sly jokes about it, and then a few days later, the NHL season is suspended. That's just what is so foreign to everyone is is how quickly things change severely again once once i heard you say the nba season is suspended indefinitely it's just okay what's next uh, what is going to happen because this is definitely the first domino to fall yeah and the, and the way teams a lot of these teams share arenas um you, you know we saw the trickle-down effect of uh okay john forsland for example the carolina hurricanes play-by-play guy um, whatever arena that the Hurricanes were in, the Utah Jazz had played in a night or two before, and all of a sudden he was taken off the team bus. And uh, um, I saw an interview with him on NHL Network, and he feels fine, but he has to follow the rules. He admits that he's he's going crazy. Um, you know, the, the four walls are closing in on him for for all of us who are used to doing our own thing, and we're we we should all 
cherish and value our independent selves, who we are independently, no matter what that involves, lifestyle, opinion, whatever it may be. But we're calling for the greater good here in in being a teammate. And as much as you want to do your own thing, uh, what shouldn't be ignored is um, the calls of the experts saying, okay, we haven't figured this out yet, and we need you to do this until then. And as difficult as it may be, we're just going to have to uh, suck it up and, and be team players. Um, and and it aggravates me not turning on. <laughs> it aggravates me not being able to you know go out and do whatever. And I, I don't know the way things are trending, whether we turn into Italy here in a matter of a couple of days or not. Um, you know, the numbers that I've seen compared to what Italy's were are a little higher at the time before it turns out what they had to do is the, the complete quarantine. So hopefully it doesn't get to that extent. I think we have to brace for it and um, for it to become so sudden, not that we didn't see this coming at all, but it still feels out of the blue and slammed right in our faces Um because it's such a stark lifestyle change and a, such a stark approach that we have to take uh, differently through all this. Anything you want to add here? Yeah, well, I mean, just, just kind of get getting into our first sound, I think we're going to go to the Patrick Kane bite where, you know, that's when it became real to him and, and the other guys in the locker room because, again, it, it started off as kind of a joke. You know, we were making fun of the situation of – how far we had to be away from the players and everything, and then it and then it got serious, and then people start to think about their lives and what's coming ahead. But I don't think anyone expected this. Yeah, let's take take a listen to Patrick Kane, and we'll morph into scenarios. We'll talk a little bit more about that last game, and we'll also have a visit with Brent Seabrook here coming up, as he recently held a charity event before the world changed a couple of weeks uh, 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 the event was a couple of weeks ago before the world changed here but shortly after sitting down at a podium it's usually going to the Blackhawks locker room and gather around a player as many people as you can get to shove a microphone or a camera in his face but uh, just a couple of days after the procedure happened moments after Patrick Kane uh, took the podium following the uh, Wednesday, March 11th, victory over the San Jose Sharks. Um, he had just learned about the NBA shutting down after the game, and moments later, um, he was asked about the prospect of the great unknown moving forward after that Hawks 6-2 victory. I guess uh, things are getting pretty real around here, so, um, you know, it is what it is. I guess we'll take the recommendations that we get, and... Uh, um, hopefully it passes by soon, and um, you know I think as players you want to keep playing the games and keep the season going. And um, we've been told to wash our hands, don't touch our face, and drink a lot of water. And uh, um, you know hopefully uh, um, that would be enough. But obviously you know you look at the NBA, there's some pretty highly conditioned athletes as well, and it trickled into that league. So um, I guess you never know what can happen. Nobody knew what to say at the time because they didn't have answers. The answers did come fairly quickly with the announcement hours later, about midday uh, on the Thursday, that the NHL was going to follow the NBA's lead. And one thing I said at the time, all these leagues have to be in lockstep, whether it's NHL, NBA, college sports and those are the ones you really feel for the kids who are seniors or playing their last games um in spring sports even in high schools i mean you were covering the high school basketball playoffs and they were just about set to go downstate 
when they said, uh-uh, this isn't going to happen. And I know there were some people doubting whether some of the uh, playoff games that, that you were covering should have taken place in those particular environments. And the ones I really feel for, though, are, are those kids. And you know, now you're talking about, okay, weddings, funerals, proms. Are you cutting? Are you are you cutting attendance at proms? Are you doing two separate proms? Are you cutting it into fours and fives? Are you even going to have a, those life moments that they're not going to be able to experience? That I think you know uh, a lot of people particularly enjoy living through during the NCAA basketball tournaments. For them not to have that last opportunity, in some cases. In college, some guys who came back to college for one final year when they easily could have turned pro, um, not being able to live out that dream and them having to deal with the disappointment. A lot of them will probably still go on in professional careers and make money, but uh, the high school kids and to a lesser extent the college kids, you really feel for them not having this moment that so many of them were looking forward to, especially those who made it this far. I forget if this is still the ratio or not, but it, but it, I've always heard uh, 10% of the people that play elementary sports go on to play high school sports, and 10% of those athletes actually go on to play college, and 10% of those actually go on to play at the professional level. So that's how difficult it is to get to professional sports. What I'm getting to is those people that don't move on to the next level, that is so sacred to them. College might be a little bit easier. It seems like the NCAA might be in the works of granting accessibility for these seniors to get another go at it in, in their sport. High school, that can't be the case. I mean, it just I, I can't see a world where that would happen. I, yeah, I was at um, Lions Township last Wednesday doing Simeon Whitney Young basketball. Great freaking game. Um, DJ Stewart, he's heading to Duke. Uh, they had another guy heading to Georgetown. Simeon had a guy going to DePaul. I mean, this was this was Chicago basketball high school level at its finest, and Whitney Young goes on. They're ready to head to the sectional, or the, rather, yeah, the sectional final on Friday against Curie, and all of it's done just like that, just like that. So, I mean, that's a punch in the gut to those players that work hard all year long, grind out through the regular season, looking to just pull everything into fruition at the end of the year, and it's all over. Uh, yeah, you bring up proms. I, I kind of forgot about that. Like, oh, yeah, no, proms are big groups, gigantic groups. They might not do that. Um, I really feel I just got married this past winter. I can't imagine what type of burden you go through with your wedding plan nowadays. What was your total attendance? We invited 360, and we had 340, so we could not have a wedding in the state of Illinois right now if that were the case. Um, yeah, you have to make roster cuts. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was wondering. You know, is that what you do? Say, all right, he, here's our cutoff. Sorry, you, you were on the bubble in the, from the beginning of it. Oh, so, man. but because uh, that's what they were talking about with the NCAA tournament too, was just having a 16 team tournament. But yeah, there's there's a lot of people that are are missing out on life experiences because of this. And I know there's there's um, a greater need to think about in terms of people's health and all that. But but still, I mean, again, this is affecting everybody in some certain way so let's talk about how it affects hockey players and um you know we threw it out there again for you guys to ask us questions we thought we would get a boatload of them because people are uh doing cabin fever on on blackhawks hockey and hockey in general but uh didn't get that many i know um one of the questions that, that was forward is what do you think hockey players are doing right now how stir crazy are they and i'll bet they are stir crazy because they are creatures of habit always on a schedule Doing something, 
staying physically fit, and they are basically uh, they are being told by their NHL teams, stay home, don't go anywhere. A little update today was uh, on Monday the 16th was for players to be allowed to go back to their home countries if they would like to, but stay there, sit tight, do not do anything until we try to update this at the latest. Friday, February twenty seventh, if not before then, as we get a you know a greater sense of where things are going uh, with coronavirus, and for those guys who are always twitching, ready to go, and right in the right in the middle of a playoff push, uh, a, a regular season that is grinding down, they have to be going crazy as well, and. Um, you know, I I can only imagine, you know, how Jonathan Taylor, whether he has his own workout equipment in his place or not, I imagine a bunch of these guys do, whether they have it here in Chicago or other places. Now they can go home and utilize it if they do. But, um, you know, these finely tuned athletes um, are going to have to, if the season does resume, and we'll go through a couple scenarios here. If the season does resume, they're going to need probably, you know, a, a good five, seven days minimum, if not a little bit more, to kind of recalibrate themselves because it still, again, does look like it's going to be a while. We may be looking at best-case scenario mid-May until the actual season resumes, and hockey is is hoping that things are looking good enough where they might be able to get those players in a week or so prior to that to kind of get a little mini training camp going again before they start playing games for real. Yeah, all, all sports are, are in a different circumstance, kind of, which makes it pretty interesting, aside from hockey and basketball. But, I mean, you've got football that's totally in its off season, but this whole thing is clearly a good chance of delaying the start of the NFL. Baseball, you've got players just getting into their full shape of getting ready for a long season, and you put a halt on that. Now, as we're speaking today, Monday afternoon, they just delayed opening day for baseball another eight weeks. Um, so now you're taking NHL and NBA athletes pretty much towards the end of the season, but still a gigantic chunk and and of uh, valuable hockey, too, to figure out playoff scenarios. Like you said, we'll get into a minute. But um, I think the one the one thing that I always take away from professional athletes that go on to stay in the game, no matter what sport it is, and you know they get into broadcasting or they get into coaching or something in the front office, a lot of times retired athletes will say, it's not so much the games I miss. Like, yes, I miss the competition. That's That's always great. I just miss the camaraderie of being in the locker room, being in the clubhouse, being in the dressing room, and, and the daily interactions with your teammates. I mean, it, it's fun because you're, you're dealing with 30 people that are your age, just as skilled as you, all going through the same thing, and that's your lifestyle. So when you put a halt on that, that's what's so difficult to go into the real world, and that's kind of what these guys have to do, but the real world is in shambles right now. So it's got to be incredibly hard to figure out your schedule to find out what you should be doing and you're absolutely right there i think that's what is making this so complicated aside from they never know what day they can make a starting point but they got to make sure all these athletes are ready again it doesn't matter what sport but since we're talking hockey you're right they have to make sure that weeks leading up to the resumption of the season that these guys are ready they're healthy that you know what were they doing during this this whole break 
And what does what does the team tell the players to do right now? Do they do they want them working out or do they want them quarantined in their house so they can't risk anything? It's it's all very tricky. Yeah, and and here, here's a here's a potential bright spot. You know, you're able to get back whether it's June or July. And again, I I'm not saying that's going to happen. That that is very much in question from what we start hearing day to day as this thing progresses here. But let's say they are they are playing in July playoffs NBA. NHL, baseball, football training camps. We'll go from nothing to absolutely everything all at once. So, what you wish for. Exactly. But let, let's hope we get to that point. We can only hope it gets to that point. But now taking a look at some of the possibilities here. Now, if we're talking about not being able to resume play at all until mid-May, that's as of mid-March as we're, as we're speaking here. Um, from all, everything we understand, Gary Bettman and the NHL, it is crucial for them to award a Stanley Cup in some form or fashion this year. They want to at least do that. And one date I heard floating around was late July. If there are an Olympics, the Olympics would start. Not that that has anything to do with the NHL, but um, in order to end the season, say late July somehow... You start working the calendar back. All right, May 15th to mid to late July. That's a two-month window there. So is there really a possibility of any type of regular season resuming? Not very likely. So then you start reconnoitering how playoffs will look. Who to include in the playoffs? Do you just go with the eight teams right now as they are slotted? Problem is, if you do that, if you want to... That's one way to do it. And you're going to have a couple, a handful of teams angry that they were right there and they didn't have the chance to get in there. So if you go eight, the three top divisional teams, the two current wildcard teams, um, that's one way to go. If you're going points percentage by eight of them, then you're going to have to, two teams would be flip-flopped in each conference. If you're going points percentage, um the top eight would include the Islanders and not Columbus. Right now, in terms of the standings, Columbus holds one of those wild cards. The Islanders are on the outside looking in. That's in the east. And in the west, Winnipeg is in as a wild card, but Vancouver would bump them in terms of points percentage if you're going top eight. So you have an argument right there. And... The other thing is, um, if you do start out simply with playoffs, do you expand it? Do you go to 12 teams? And then there was another scenario which would benefit the Blackhawks if there are no more regular season games or opportunity for them to potentially pick up any ground. If you expand the playoffs to another round number, 12 in each conference, that would mean 12 teams from both the East and the West, the line would be 70 points. And the Blackhawks get in under that line. And the Montreal Canadiens in the East would get in under that line. And if you were to pull that off, you would then, in all likelihood, have to shrink size of series. Whether you go 12 and do one play-in game or a best of three, and then you have a couple rounds that are simply best of five, or all the remainder of the rounds are best of five instead of best of seven in order to squeeze everything in in that timetable. 
And under that scenario I was looking at as well, all 12 teams from a wild card standing standpoint in each conference and all 12 teams from a points percentage standpoint in each conference, those are the same 12 teams. They may slot differently depending on how you want to do it, points or points percentage, but they are the same identical 12 teams. And I think from a Blackhawks fan's perspective, that may be what you need to root for if you want to see Blackhawks hockey again this season. Do you have any idea why they came up with the 70 points? That's just where it lies. Because if you go through the top 12 point totals in each conference, that's where the line is, 70 and above. And if you also do that, it guarantees these markets being in. And when you're talking about lost revenue by losing the remainder of the regular season, the last three weeks of the regular season, that brings Chicago into the mix. Montreal into the mix and both New York teams into the mix. Um, the Ranger or the Islanders could get in one way in those top eight that we just discussed, and they would not get in another way. And uh, if you want to try and make up revenue, and granted, it, d- depending on what kind of format that they decide, if this is the way they go, it could be just one home game. It could be two home games. Who knows? But it also affords those big markets also the, the, the opportunity to continue playing if they can win some games. Yeah, I, I am a fan of uh, the 70 points or higher. Um, I just think with the situation at hand, it it does give teams on the outside looking in a fighting chance. Um, I mean, with everything that's happened, nothing's going to be fair. Even if you're running for who, who has the most points still, Boston? Yeah. Uh, I mean... If you're a Boston fan, you, you can't really be upset about because no one was expecting something like this. And I saw once on Twitter, like, yes, let's let's root for chaos in terms of the sports world. Let's root for that. I mean, how cool would it be a, a three-game hockey series in the playoffs for a chance to go on the Stanley Cup run? I mean, I, I love the consistency of the NHL playoffs with a seven-game series. But, I mean, it it is... I don't know. I, I just would love the... I would love to witness the intensity of a three-game hockey series because, I mean, hockey is a game you can find the better team in just one game. Like, that's not baseball. Hockey, you can. So a three-game series is still pretty fair. Mm-hmm. And if you're if you're the better team in a three-game series on a team that shouldn't have even made the playoffs in the first place, I, I see that being a, a fairly fair scenario. So I, I would root for that, and I, I know Hawks fans would too. Yeah, and um, when you I, you know, I haven't taken a close look at the NBA st- uh, uh, standings either, but... You also have to take into account arena availability. And obviously, if the Blackhawks were to make the playoffs, you don't have to worry about the Bulls. <laughs> Sorry, but you don't have to worry about the Bulls. Um, Boston would be a problem. I think Denver, Colorado would be a problem with with some of those teams that uh, are, you know, on, on, yeah, in terms of having to share arenas. Got it, got it, got it. So Boston, Denver, um, uh, the L.A. teams aren't an issue because under that scenario, the Kings would be out, both the Lakers and Clippers, of course. I'm talking about Detroit's not an issue. Um, Dallas. So Dallas, Dallas could be. Yeah. Um, but that becomes... Once, once these games were postponed, paused, suspended, however you want to put it, that just blows up the arena schedule so big. And, you know, I... When you're when you're employee of the Blackhawks, you get you get all the all the emails from the United Center, and over the last couple of days, it's just been ding, 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 ding. All these concerts that have been canceled as well, 
um, concert tours based on all this. So that becomes, I would not want to be, whenever you get a green light here, depending on the scenario, I would not want to be the arena schedulers for the NHL and NBA, especially when it's like, let's go, come on, we got to get going here, you got a week, let's figure this out. Uh, no thanks. I, I would I would not want that job at all. No, no, I, I wouldn't either. Um, for the sake of conversation, does Philly share their arena too? Because that yes. that would that would be a situation too. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. It's again, it's 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 chaos. <laughs> that that's what it will be, and might might be what some people root for. Um, I. I I'm with you though. I didn't think about that though. In the middle of July, just sport after sport after sport after sport, and you know, then, then you got to figure out what you're actually going to watch. Right. So there's a couple of scenarios, and and, and that's that's uh, as we record on Monday, March 16th. There will probably be a whole lot more floated until we do our next podcast, which is, you know, we can tell you now it's it's going to be when we do have some concrete answers. Because um, looking forward here, before we get into that last game, other trickle down effects of this are. Um, how this would affect the salary cap. You know, after all that optimism, uh, just a couple of weeks ago at the general manager's meetings when they announced that the salary cap could potentially go up to $88 million, which I think was a pipe dream to begin with, now with the revenue taking huge shots in the arm, it's conceivable the salary cap could go even go lower, and that presents a bigger problem from a Blackhawks perspective with Stan Bowman having to find out a way to pay these players, um, the Stroms, the Kubaliks, the Crawfords, whoever's in goal, um, a couple of other guys. Uh, if now this becomes a, an even challenge, more challenging puzzle for Stan Bowman, um, that's not good news. For the Blackhawks, from a financial perspective, no, they would be handcuffed so severely if if that were the case. I mean, with all these injuries that happened this year, that that freed up some space, but that that's only a factor this season. Mm-hmm. And we're about to hear Brent Seabrook how he's healing. So I mean, he's he's expected to to be there all year for this upcoming season. So. Uh, yeah, that is not good news for the Blackhawks at all. Yep. So let, let's uh, let's kind of. Uh, reflect back on the last time the Blackhawks played. Again, it was Wednesday, March 11th, game against the San Jose Sharks. A fairly full house, and, um, you know, I made the point in the pregame, I was, based on the way things were trending, it was a time to just take a moment, look around, and even though it wasn't totally packed, people were doing, making their own decisions on whether they want to come out. It was still a fairly decent house. I would say about 17,000 or 18,000 of the seats were filled. Yeah, there were pockets that were empty, but again, enthusiastic crowd, and uh, the Blackhawks ended up winning that one 6-2, to two, and it also marked the debut of uh, two new guys, uh, the rookies. The pipeline continued from Rockford. I believe they are the eighth and ninth call-ups from Rockford this year, whether they actually played or not. And Nicholas Bodan and uh, Brandon Hagel, and I believe they're the sixth and seventh or seventh and eighth uh, Blackhawks. There were eight rookies in the Blackhawks lineup for that game against the San Jose Sharks as they ended up winning at six to two. And Bodan and Brandon Hagel uh, both made some fairly positive accountings of themselves. Now, finished products, no, by any means, and the Blackhawks knew that coming up. But uh, first, now let's hear from Duncan Keith about what he heard or what he felt about uh, breaking in another uh, youngin 
and an even older guy than Adam Boquist, 20-year-old Nicholas Bodan was his uh, partner on defense there. He talks about partnering with uh, Bodan and, and breaking him into the NHL. And then you'll hear Jeremy Carlton's thoughts on uh, the two guys making uh, their respective debuts after the Blackhawks' 6-2 win over San Jose. I enjoyed playing with Bodan tonight. Uh, I thought he was great for his first ever NHL game at uh, as young as he is. Uh, I thought he played with a lot of poise and patience and he moved the puck. He was in good support positions there a couple of times early in the first. Uh, you know, I tight tight turned back, and he was right there to pick up the puck, uh, being in a support position as a defenseman. Those are kind of the things that uh, I think make a make a good partner and, and a good defenseman when they're they're available for their partner to be outlet passes and, and make plays. And I think he helped our transi- transition game. Bodan, I just thought he made a lot of plays. He he. he would- a lot of passes, a lot of clean plays. Whether it was in transition, uh, you know, neutral zone off a turnover, like he, he almost caught Sauter for that breakaway. Like you just love to see that because um, I think we, with our work ethic, we can create some turnovers and some transition opportunities. But we got to make those plays, and uh, he showed that he could do that. So that was really positive. I thought he was um, pretty good defensively. You know, it wasn't perfect, but he he. Uh, he did a lot of good things, so really nice uh, debut for him. And then Hagel, I thought, was very involved, um, skated well, competed well. I love that he took the puck to the net uh, multiple times, took the puck inside, won a 50-50, took it inside, testing their defense. And uh, I think that was contagious. You know, he started to do that. And then, you know, Saad beats his guy off the wall and scores like that. I think we can see more of that. We can be tougher to play against in the offensive zone. Bodan and Hagel uh, making their debuts two of seven. We counted seven NHL rookies in the lineup for that particular game. And I thought they had a really good accounting for themselves. I know you weren't at the game, Joe, but uh, they didn't seem shy. They didn't seem overwhelmed by the moment. This doesn't mean they're going to be uh, long-time 10- or 15-year guys in the NHL who are going to be uh, the next cornerstones of the Blackhawks, but it was encouraging to see. So when you take into account... Let's see. Nylander scored in that game. We've uh, had... uh, a uh, wide range of opinions over the season about Alex Nylander, along with Dominic Kubalik, who hits the 30-goal mark in that game. Kirby Doc, who set up Kubalik with an absolutely beautiful pass. Um, another rookie in that lineup. Matthew Highmore, kind of in the mold of Brandon Hagel. And then you had Bodan. You had Lucas Carlson, who returned to the lineup, played his sixth game, and I think has looked very good as well. If anything, out of this season, if the Blackhawks are not to play another game, um, and it's not the ideal way to go, but they have at least gotten some good looks at some of the guys in their pipeline. And this is not counting, you know, uh, you know, we were speaking earlier about guys not being able to finish their seasons. Ian Mitchell at Denver, Evan Barrett at Penn State, uh, two guys who were expected to sign with the Blackhawks after their college seasons were over, unable to finish their um uh, NCAA, respective NCAA tournaments. But if anything, this season, the Blackhawks have gotten a good, long look. Well, not long in some cases, Bodan and, and Hagel in particular. But they have at least gotten a taste of how these guys can handle life at the NHL level. Is it a finished book? No, by any means, as we mentioned. But at least you get a little bit of perspective on how they handle the stage. And I, I think we've talked about it a lot this year, but that that's what you are going to see from the Hawks this season because of all the injuries that they've had, too, with needing guys to come up and come up for good. I mean, that's why it's worked out so well for Kirby Doc. At least that's what I believe. 
Um, I, I like how confident Keith sounded when talking about Nicholas Bowden and uh, Jeremy Colleton, too, saying something along the lines of, uh, you know, he, he was making good passes. He found himself in the mix really well, and that's that's what you want to see. You, you want to see a guy coming up not trying to do too much, just, just trying to fit in well. So I feel like... We're seeing a lot of that happening this year, and I feel like that's that's got to be a good sign. Yeah, and and Bodin, you know, he has a pretty good shot from what we saw. Uh, rifled a couple, one off the post, and again, the moment didn't seem too big for him. Uh, it was funny that morning that when we asked him about if he's a nervous person, he says, um, "I'm not a very he says something like I'm not a very stressful person in life, but right now I am very stressed." <laughs> So he ended up handling it well, got the start right off the bat, as did Hagel off the opening faceoff. And it was nice of Jeremy Collins to throw him in there, get him out of the way. So we can only hope that we see those two guys one more time this season and see how they will perform in a second game. And speaking of momentum changed and then momentum halted, wouldn't you know the Blackhawks' power play, which came into that game... 0 for 14 over their previous five. And after a brief flurry in which they uh, put uh, six power play goals together in a four-game span before that drought, they had dipped back to 30th in the NHL. They go up against the number one penalty kill in the league in the San Jose Sharks. And what do they do? They go two for three, Patrick Kane. It's nice to get that going. You know, I think that's a huge part of the game. You know, you look at it after the second period, we're up 3-1, we have two power play goals. So um, that's something that I've been missing all year, but it was good tonight. I think we're a pretty good 5-on-5 five five team in the zone. So sometimes uh, you want to get to your setups, you want to um, think uh, too much out there. And I think, uh, you know, the biggest thing, we got a lot of good, highly skilled, um, um, uh, heavily aware players on the ice that um, can make plays off instinct. And I think if we just kind of focus on that and almost have that five-on-five mentality where we're making plays and um, just, like I said, playing off instinct, um, I think we'll be better off. Of course. Of course the Blackhawks' power play finally figured things out. Okay, it was only one game. But to do it against the number one penalty kill in the league... um, what a tease! And now we have to now we have to wait. Just when they figured it out, they're going to have to figure it out all over again, no matter how long this break is going to be. It's uh, irony at its finest. The kick in the what? <laughs> the, the Blackhawks finally figure out their power play, and uh, the entire world has to shut down the following day. Um, yeah, I, I guess that's just how it goes in sports. Um, and you know, who knows? Like we we saw, we've seen spurts of it f- finally figuring. In, or the power play figuring everything out, but um, it's just a matter if they keep it consistently. And now, even if they, whatever the next game they play, if they were to score two or three power play goals, it still wouldn't technically be consistent. But um, it's a great thing to see, and you know, it's uh, it's one of those quirky things that you might not ever be able to figure out. It's a tease, is what it is. And, and you know, if 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 whenever the next game is, you know, wh- whether it's not until next October or whether it's in May sometime, if they come back and score two goals again. Uh, in their next game on the power play, the key will be a two-month break in between games in order to get that power play clicking. What has been a bugaboo this season and for uh, seasons past. All right, let's switch gears a little bit. Um, Let's stay on Blackhawks player, and that is Brent Seabrook. We have not seen him since, uh, what, uh, December, uh, when his season came to an end, deciding to undergo hip and shoulder surgeries. 
And uh, back on March 1st, he had his uh, annual bowling event. We'll give details of that in a moment, and everything it involves and who it supports. But uh, Brent, uh, never a look-at-me kind of guy, never a guy who uh, is is a moth for the cameras or the microphones by any means, uh, held a, a charity bowling event. It's the 12th year running. Uh, this uh, event, uh, we'll get to some of the beneficiaries in just a moment, but it was also an opportunity as... Um, reluctant as he was to talk about himself to provide a brief update on uh, his health status. The surgeries are done now. Now it's a matter of healing and recuperating, recovering and rehabbing. And uh, he did give a, a brief update, vague as it was, on his health situation, along with a little bit about being away from the team and particularly uh, being away from the guy he's kind of taken under his wing and uh, had been living in his house, uh, rookie Kirby Doc. Here's Brent Seabrook on his health and um, how he's had to alter uh, both his relationship with his teammates and Kirby Doc in particular. Having three surgeries in five weeks is, uh, isn't ideal, but uh, I'm feeling great. Um, we're slow moving right now. I'm hoping... Uh, I can start moving more and, and getting more things uh, going. Uh, Dr. Terry's pretty tough with this hip brace. He's not letting me take it off. I'd like to take it off. I'd like to get on the ice. I'd like to skate. Um, but, yeah, we're just sort of taking it day by day. i got a lot of great people around me helping me out and, and, uh, and pu- pushing me in the right direction to, to get better. So. Are you still able to mentor Kirby, um, even though you're away from the team, but it's like he comes home and he sees you? Yeah, I try to as much as I can. I mean, uh, Kirby's a, a pretty smart guy. He, he asks questions, and then we talk. Uh, you know, I said to him a couple weeks ago, you know, it sucks that I'm not able to, to be there and drive with him to the rink and, and games and, and, and be around uh, as much as I would like. But, um, you know, we got a great group of people on this team and, and a great group of guys that are, that are mentoring everybody. So after Brent warned us that day he wasn't going to talk about himself at all, he did at least discuss a little bit about how his rehab is going. And uh, uh, in the last couple weeks after that, we did still see him with a brace around one leg to support the hip surgery that he had, wearing it on the outside uh, of his clothes. But a little bit more about the event. And I want to let you listen to what he as well as his uh, right-hand man in this venture, Brad Erickson, have to say about it. It was the 12th annual Blackhawks Ice Bowl on Sunday, March 1st. Uh, it happened at Lucky Strike Chicago on, down on Illinois Street. And you'll hear Brent express his appreciation to his teammates. There was a, a large turnout. I think every Blackhawk was there, if not every, almost every Blackhawk was there to help support the cause after they got in the wee hours of the morning. This was following that four-game trip to Dallas, St. Louis, Tampa Bay, and Florida, their second extended trip over the course of the month of February. So they had just gotten in uh, late that Saturday night slash earlier that Sunday morning and and then show up mid-afternoon at Lucky Strike to uh, help support Brent's cause. Again, the 12th annual Blackhawks Ice Bowl. And it uh, benefited the Inner City Education Program, ICE, I-C-E, Inner City Education. It's a nonprofit organization that helps low-income children obtain educational and hockey opportunities not otherwise available to them, including scholarships, a mentor program, and a youth hockey club. It's all kind of tied into Fifth Third Arena, which unfortunately is also shuttered during this time. But say what you will about Brent, um, the greatness that he has brought during his career here, the uncertainty about how... Uh, good of a player he will be moving forward once he is completely recovered and his salary 
that uh, everyone likes to uh, gripe. We'll just say gripe about, um, which is nothing that he can do anything about. Um, but here, I, I just want to give you a sense of a guy who does not like being in the spotlight. Here, just talking about how uh, grateful he is to be involved in a program like this, uh, opening the curtain a little bit, sharing a little bit about what he does away from the rink. And after you hear from Brent, you will also hear from Brad Erickson, who is the founder and executive director of the Inner City Education Program. Uh, this company has, or this venture, has raised $1.2 million over the 12 years, and they are providing this year $105,000 in tuition for 12 kids. That's just this year. So first you'll hear from Brent, and then you'll hear from Brad Erickson, the founder and executive director, telling a great story about uh, the the best story that he can relate about what this program has meant to one individual in particular and what it means to uh, potentially means to all those it can touch. We'll start out here with Brent Seabrook. You know, as, as a young player, I got money from Bauer to... Uh to buy hockey sticks and hockey skates and and I don't even know what it was all about but um, I didn't need hockey skates or hockey sticks or hockey gear or anything like that the the, the Blackhawks provide that for us so I I just sort of asked Pete I wanted to donate something to some kids and and if uh, he had somebody it was my first year or second year I think and and, uh, he hooked me up with Brad and he was starting the the ice program so um, we went out there with, with the Blackhawks uh, equipment truck and, and uh, we opened her up and, and handed out 50, uh, 50 gloves and 50 helmets and, and uh, that was sort of how me and Brad's relationship started and a couple years after that it was, uh, you know, we'd like, we'd like to do an event. So, you know, we both sort of came together and, and uh, decided on bowling and, and uh, my teammates have been great throughout the years coming out and helping out and supporting and and I mean the fans and the support we've got from the city of Chicago has been great. So the program speaks for itself. I think last year we did 200 grand. Um, the last couple years we've done about 200 grand. I know um, we're providing scholarships for 24 kids this year, um, and helped out uh, helped out a lot of kids. Uh, you know, provide schooling and, and and just a place to play hockey. So um, I think it's a lot of fun for the kids to get out there and and playing hockey as as a young kid for myself taught me a lot about friendships and teammates and and, uh, discipline and a few things like that so I think anytime kids can get out and and play hockey uh, or or team sports in general is is huge What's what's the feeling you get back on days like this and then seeing how many people that you've helped uh, I know it's a great feeling winning games and winning cups, Uh, how's the feeling? Yeah, I mean it's 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 tremendous to come here and and, uh, Brad brings a lot of the kids in Um, you know, seeing the first kid we, we gave uh, a scholarship to, he's back working with the foundation now and, and around quite a bit. So, um, you know, it means a lot to me. It means a lot to me that, that my teammates showed up after uh, a travel day like they, they had last night. And, and uh, I mean, it's been, what, a month and a half since they've been home. So having a day off and coming out and supporting a great cause is, uh, means a lot to me from, from my teammates. And, and uh, it's just a, a good event. You know, Brad and his team, they've, they've been doing this for a long time. I think maybe more early on, I was a little more hands-on. Um, you know, talking with Brad the last couple months, we have conversations about hats or jerseys or, or players or, or uh, you know, event time or, or things like that. But, um, yeah, they've done a great job. I think anytime 
you know, I mean, we can give back. The team, my teammates, can come out and help out. We can, we can have an event like this. The city comes and and totally backs it and, and helps us out. Um, it means a lot when the kids come back and they appreciate it and, and they, they they see the impact it had on their lives and they come back and help out. So that's that's good. Especially Chicago, where a lot of inner city kids that do not have access to hockey, and this is sort of their path. And I'm sure from when you guys won that first cup to now, it's you know you can see black, Hispanic, all these different players. And how important is that? Maybe you guys have grown that part of the game too. I think it's huge. I think uh, I think hockey in general is a hard sport to to get into just because of rink availability. I know it's expensive to to uh, to get gear. My son's playing hockey now. I know it's expensive to buy skates and shoulder pads and all that kind of stuff and, and put your kid in hockey. And um, you know, I, I think what this program does is allows these kids to get out and do something that they love to do that they might otherwise not have an opportunity to do it. So um, you know, I'm proud of. of uh, what, what ICE has become and, and, uh, and proud to be associated with a great group of people. Brent got involved with us 12 years ago and we did a really small event. It was just him and three other guys. And I think we raised like 15000 We thought we were rock stars, um, which, you know, was amazing at the time. And then the event got more well-known. The Blackhawks started winning Stanley Cups. The event got bigger. We outgrew one place, then we outgrew another place. We've been here, I think, about eight or nine years now. Now we raised around $200,000 at this event. Uh, the relationship was phenomenal. You know, we got lucky hooking up with a guy like Brent, who's just such a phenomenal guy in the community. Um, has been with the team all along, has gotten traded, has you know had any issues. Um, so the relationship's been amazing, and our relationship with the Blackhawks too. We've been an official charitable partner of the Blackhawks for five years now. But even before that, the support from the organization has just been incredible. Uh, you know, without the players, we don't have this. We'll raise around two hundred thousand dollars today, and all the money goes to low-income inner-city kids for hockey equipment, ice time, coaching. We provide mandatory academic tutoring. If they don't go to tutoring, they don't get to go on the ice. And then we provide a limited number of academic scholarships. This year we have 24 kids, first grade and up. We're taking them out of underperforming schools and putting them in private schools, and we pay their tuition. And all that comes from today's event. You know, my very first scholarship kid, Darius Mack, who I started coaching when he was nine years old. Um, that was before I started the ice program. He's one of the kids that inspired me to start it. And he was our first scholarship kid as a freshman at De La Salle. Uh, he and another boy. Um, and Darius is 31 years old now. He's bigger than me and stronger than me. He's on our board. But Darius, really, more than anything, seeing a kid that was nine years old, uh, he grew up in the, uh, in the projects. His buildings have actually been condemned and torn down. It should have been condemned and torn down 30 years ago. Um, he was this phenomenal kid. He used to he walked to the practice rink. We used to be in Garfield Park, and that's where he lived. And he was never late. He walked blocks to the rink. And one day he was late. He was nine years old. And I said, why were you late? Exact quote, because I remember like yesterday, he says, man, they were shooting. I said, who was shooting? He said, man, them gangbangers are shooting. I had to wait and go out the back. This kid's dodging bullets to get to hockey practice. He's 15 minutes late. Only time he was ever late. And I got to know him in his free time. I don't know how this, you know, he got into hockey. He liked to read and he liked to play chess. And just a good, smart kid, has always stayed out of trouble, grew up in the worst circumstances, with not a lot of family support, and just done very well for himself, and really proud of him. What can you say about the, the Blackhawks as an organization, what their impact has been in the community, both with Fifth Third and um, exposing more kids to the game? Yeah, the, the Blackhawks done a phenomenal job with that as well. Um, I had a relationship with the Blackhawks many years earlier, because they used to coach Rocky's nephew, actually. And I, I did some charity work with his sister, Gail. And then, um, you know, we were already doing well with the Blackhawks, and Rocky, of course, has taken things to another level, obviously with all the winning of the Stanley Cups and so on. 
Uh, they donate the ice to us at Fifth Third once a week. So we have kids there every week, and they also donate a, a meeting room that we use for tutoring. Um, that's nine months a year, so that's a lot of money. Ice time is not cheap. Um, and we also have a lot of their interns that tutor with us. So, I mean, there's so many layers to the support that we get from the Blackhawks. It's, you know, unbelievable where it started and where it's gone. Um, they're, they're amazing. Wonderful story there from Brad Erickson about uh, a kid who came into the program and is now helping make the program run and all it has meant to him. And in these times, I think that's something real important to remember how um, sports has influenced lives not only us, the meatheads who just sit in front uh, and either report on it or sit on our couches and watch it um, for our viewing pleasure and enjoyment and uh, rounding out our lives because of our love for the games, but also the impact it can make in the community. And I think that's a kind of an important message to remember here that this is also something that's being lost through all this. Fifth Third Arena, for the time being, is as we mentioned before, is is closed right now. And as a result, it's affecting those kids who are in this program and everyone else who likes to take advantage of that, um, the greater good of what, what sports can provide. And, you know, it's, it's a trickle-down effect on the restaurants and the businesses that thrive on those events and those concerts that take place. And that's just something to keep in mind when we're feeling sorry for ourselves about how... Uh, much sports can have a hold and an influence on some of our younger people and help mold them into uh, what we hope they can become. The way I look at it is kind of a two-way relationship where you know Brent Seabrook gives to the community, in some cases the sport of hockey, I mean donating equipment and, and things like that and, and uh, sharing the sport and in return he gets the love and support from the fans, sorry about that um, gets, Update! <laughs> gets, yeah, nothing really, just uh, just a Daily Herald update, apparently. Um, but, you know, in return, he gets the support from the fans, and um, the fans, in return, get get the Blackhawks championships runs. And it, it it's so cool how it started off with just a $15,000 fundraiser, and now it's gone to 200000 I mean, it's just it's a very cool situation. The Blackhawks are so good at doing these kind of things, too. I mean, they do that. They do the Keith Relief Fund. Um, and it just it just blew up the sport of hockey in this city. So it's it's really cool to see players giving back and, and the fans pitching in to help them give back and and basically everybody helping everybody out. Yep. Stick tap to Brent and to Brad and for all involved in that program. It's just one of uh, many cool stories behind the scenes that uh, maybe once a year gets highlighted, but all the work goes through. Uh, 365, 12 over the course of a year. So before we wrap up here, uh, we're sitting here in your studio, and uh, I noticed some of the decorations, accoutrements. It's it's very, very heavily Cubs, uh, Cubs related. Um, so sorry, White Sox fans. But then you also got your bike hanging up here, and uh, good on you. There's a little color. There's a little color to the to this this bicycle in particular, and. Uh, Tell us your little story about uh, what one, one one little girl thought about some of the color on your bike. Well, well, first the disclaimer: I got a lot of the Cubs stuff when when I first started working with the Cougars. We were a Cubs affiliate, so I, I got some stuff there. I have a White Sox backpack right there. It's, okay, it's, it's, but right. yeah, um, yeah. This, and just for reference, this is the first time I've recorded a podcast in this quote unquote studio baptism. Yeah, but uh, okay. So the bike. I uh, love riding the bike in the city. I figured out how to put it on the bus and everything. You know, it's a convenient, eco-friendly way to get around town. 
and I needed a new one. And when I was traveling with the baseball team, Kane County, we're up in Appleton, Wisconsin, and near the hotel was a bike sale. And I found this nice piece. It was um, no, pretty simple. I didn't want much. I just I told him I want to ride something in the city, something that can last me a while. And the best bike in terms of what I wanted in price was this bicycle that is, for the majority, a black color. But the inside of the spokes of the tires are basically bright pink. I thought about it a lot. I'm like, you know what? I'm, I'm totally comfortable riding a pink bike. I am okay with that. I'm not going to have any problem with that whatsoever. I shouldn't. We're in a very progressive society. This shouldn't be a factor. I pay for the bike. I get on the bike. I'm riding back to my hotel. And at the stoplight, a little girl rolls down her passenger window and says, Hey, you know your bike is pink, right? <laughs> and then they drive off. So, uh, yeah, I got schooled by uh, a nice little girl uh, on her way home from wherever. But um, I like to think of it as uh, very good reflectors. So that's that's the way I justify it. But, again, I, I, I have no problem riding a pink bike. I'm, I'm totally cool with it. And I, I love that thing. I do. It's cool. It's kind of like, I don't know, like some Miami Marlins colors or something yeah. like that. So And a white chain. Two, a white chain. Yeah, you're right. How do you keep that thing clean? <laughs> uh, well, number one, I keep it in here for the majority of the time. Uh, you're right. I, I should maybe go with uh, the Miami Vice Five. It's got a few blue racing stripes right. on it too. But all right, there we go. It's my Miami Vice bike. Yeah. All right. Um, so in, in concluding here, everybody, let's try and take a deep breath. And difficult as it is, and and try to uh, worry about what we can control. Unfortunately, there's a whole lot that we cannot control. I am itching for hockey already. I miss going out to practices and the games. Uh, despite the roller coaster of the season, I would rather take that any day of the week. And I think this also lends us some perspective, or I hope lends fans some perspective about uh, whether they want to go uh, deep into the underground when complaining about their local teams, uh, how they are performing or not. It's nice to have them. It's really nice to have them and to have that outlet and when that is taken away and again we think it's going to be minimum two months mid-may before we have this opportunity again and even if play does resume who knows if fans will even be allowed into these facilities at that point it's a wide open very fluid situation and as difficult as it may be and you know joe and his wife are in the same same uh, situation here, dealing with the unknown, um, you know, uh, making ends meet and whatnot. Uh, it, it, being teammates is, is kind of the best route to go. Don't be the cherry picker. Don't be the ball hog. The, the toilet paper manufacturers will continue to supply toilet paper and take what you need. That's it. Leave some for other people and... Then there will always be some there. You know, you, you have to you have to think that's the way things are going to go. Paper towels less so much. I was a little bit worried when I walked in the studio and saw your paper towel stash, but I think paper towels are fine. It's just the to- get over the toilet paper thing and uh, let's all let's all uh, live together, especially when it comes to our backsides. Okay. On on your way out, just uh, don't go into my pantry in the bathroom. Uh, no, I, I, I'm I'm a Costco member. And I just buy that stuff in bulk regardless. I, I made a Costco run about a month ago, and, uh, yeah, that, that's what I got. It was funny, though, because I, I'm, I'm a kind of person that doesn't like just the, the brick of toilet paper in the bathroom with, like, 30 rolls. So I put them all in the, 
in the linen closet to the point where they're like falling out on you when you open up the door and uh, then all this happened. But uh, yeah, that was that was pre coronavirus okay. chaos. I, I per- those purchases were made. I'll, I'll take your word for it. And I, I'll, I'll spare you a square if and, you need it. And, and yeah, careful how you, word, you use the word bulk around toilet paper. All right. Um, so let's all hang together, make our way through this, people. And uh, it's it's the great unknown. It's something we haven't dealt with before, like uh, other turning points in uh, this country's history and the world's history. We all got to be in this together for the greater good. And once we all are out on the other side, hopefully we'll have a greater appreciation for what we do have, for what was hopefully temporarily taken away. Hopefully most of us will be in a good place when we do come out on the other side of this where um, we can help some of the businesses that are really, you know, uh, walking a fine line and taking a hit. Hopefully there are many of those are able to survive this and be able to come back and we can enjoy them and socialize and live life normally uh, once again one more time and uh, hopefully for a long time as uh, uh, we hope this is a lesson learned um, through the long haul and we learn a little bit about ourselves as well. So on behalf of Joe Brand and behalf of Curtis Koch, our producer, Ernie Scatton as well, we want to thank you for listening to this edition of the Blackhawks Crazy Podcast presented by FanList. Thanks to FanList as well for becoming the presenting sponsor. Again, we encourage you to subscribe. Uh, but if you do not, we will tweet out the links to you as we do this time. And that's probably the best way to look out for the next one. It'll be posted on WGNRadio.com. I'll tweet it out. I'm at, at Bowden Tweets. Joe will do the same at Joe underscore brand one, the number one. And uh, we'll keep you posted uh, as well. Uh, everyone's going to be keeping an eye on how this thing rolls out. And as soon as we have definitive word moving forward, we'll gather once again. Hopefully in the radio studio as well. We'll uh, it'll be a little easier to to get into there as well. That's just a precautionary thing, but uh, I'd do it gladly in, in Joe's uh, studio here with the uh, bike with the pink tires. Uh, do that gladly. So hopefully we do sound, find some answers sooner than later. Hopefully they are good answers, happy answers. But until then, uh, again, everyone take care of themselves. Be well. Be safe. And we'll talk to you next time. Thanks for listening to the Blackhawks Crazy Podcast. Tell a friend, subscribe, and join the conversation. And follow the guys on Twitter, at Bowden Tweets, and at Joe underscore brand one. That was great!